and a fuzzy welcome to Zap to the Past episode 0, part 1. This special set of episodes was literally the first thing we ever recorded, just after Adrian had his 8-bit C64 game brainwave about doing a podcast. So this first part covers the pre-Zap magazine era, with an ample choice of C64 games from 1982 and 1983. We were still getting things right at this point and figuring out technical stuff, so the Zap to the Past formula in these pilot episodes is a bit unusual. That said, we still hope you enjoy our sparkly and fun look at the games, 80s stuff and of course, the crapverts. Episode 0 Part 2 will be available immediately, so you don't even have to wait to get stuck in. Anyway, enough of me yakking. Enjoy Zap to the Past, Episode 0. So I think the first one we're going to cover is the only one we're going to cover from 1982. Which is Choplifter. Do you want to talk about Choplifter? You got anything to say about it? Sure. Well, Choplifter was actually, it's essentially, it's an arcade conversion. And there was a lot of arcade conversions back then. Mm-hmm. Not all good, I have to say. In fact, mostly not good. Mm-hmm. But um, Choplifter was, I think, based on an arcade. I'm not sure if the arcade was called Choplifter. But the essentially, the essential premise of the game was the same. Um, fly the helicopter... Rescue the tiny, tiny people from the <coughs> evil clutches of tanks and aeroplanes, and then take them to a safe house, which is almost exactly five <laughs> centimeters from the place where they were in danger. But there you go. That's the nature <laughs> of the game. So pick up the people, drop them in the safe zone, avoid the baddies. That was the premise of the game. And I think the arcade was the same. So what did you think of the Commodore 64 version? I was strangely pleasantly surprised. I thought it was all right, considering like it's just you know one button and a joystick controls wise. I thought once you got used to them, uh, the holding down the button to change the direction, similar to sort of Defenderish style, um, and being able to fire down or sort of fire directly down if you sort of manage to sort of get your helicopter ver- you know vertical. I thought it was all right. I quite enjoyed it. <laughs> Weirdly enough, um, it's got some decent sort of pseudo 3D elephant uh, elephants elements to it. So, <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'd love to see some pseudo 3D elephants. That'd be great. Um, but some pseudo 3D elements to it, so, which I thought were quite weird, something because it, as you move lower down or as you got faster, your bombs went further into the screen, and, and it, it, it was all right. It was it was it was okay for the 15 20 minutes that I played it. I was like, you know what? For a game made in 1982 that I've never really been back to and haven't played for something in like about 40 years um, or 38 years or whatever sort of thing, this is not bad. And so, Did you think it had... I mean, I made some notes when I was playing this. Not while I was playing the game because that would be virtually impossible. <laughs> I put I put that uh, it was repetitive. Mm. And that doesn't mean that was a bad thing because some games are a process of repetition to just keep getting you do the same thing. But it just felt like... Um, the, the level of difficulty was just implemented on the quantity of airplanes, which, by the way, were flying very dangerously, erratically near <laughs> helicopters. That's all I can say for that. And the tanks, did the, ta- <laughs> the tanks fire anything or did they just, I think they did. Did, yeah, did you see yeah, them no, fire no, anything? The, the, tanks, the tanks certainly blew up uh, a couple of my people. Um, I was constantly, the, once you got to the jets, it becomes almost virtually impossible. Um, yes. Because... It's it's so hard to shoot and control everything. That's its main bugbear. It's trying to almost do too much. Um, it, it's yeah. an early precursor to like um, uh, what was the, what was the EA game? Jungle, jungles, jungle strike, jungle strike, and desert strike. It's kind of an early precursor to them. Uh, you know, two D version of those. Um, and so, but I think it, you know, it was only when those games came along, sort of thing, and they had a bit more control that you that kind of realized its potential. But it's it's trying to almost do too much, and I, I imagine that's a sort of um, probably a victim of its arcade heritage. 
maybe it had more buttons yeah, in the arcade. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I made my notes were that it was oddly difficult because um, I found myself able to just outrun the tanks and pick up the little people. Yes. And I felt a little warm sense of satisfaction that I'd rescued them, apart from when I landed near one of the little houses. And they just kept coming out and coming out. I'm like, stop coming out of that house because I've only got so much room in this helicopter and there's a tank. Get in there, get back. And then, um, so I thought, okay, that's good. And then I was killed virtually instantly by an aeroplane and then repeatedly killed by the same aeroplane over and over again to the point of frustration. Yeah. And what struck me is that um, overall, it just felt like it was like an arcade game that had nothing in it apart from one aeroplane and a couple of tanks. It was devoid of enemies at certain points. I don't know if it gets more enemies, maybe. I don't know. I, think I didn't a, live that long to find out. I think there's a drone appears at one point. Um, so I'm a reading, I read that. Just to make it extra fun. Yeah, there's, a, there's some kind of drone that appears and kills you. I'm not sure what, it, what it's all about, but yeah, it's all right. Yeah, it wasn't bad. I mean, I did I did notice that it had a, a finite sort of scrolling border to the left and the right, so you could only go so far, which is different to kind of Defender, which kind of loops. Yes. So there was, and it, there is a very heavy hint of Defender. It's certainly in the sound effects. The helicopter sound effect was really good, actually. Mm. Um, the bombs and the, the the guns and the shooting and the kind of you know very arcade perfunctory kind of spot effects. There was no real music or anything that I remember. In the- no, not really. So yeah, it's all right. But nineteen eighty two, it wasn't that bad. Sprites were all right. The helicopter looked like an helicopter. Yeah, and tanks looked like tanks. Jet looked like a jet. Yes, so yes. It was weird. Yeah, weird. Yeah. Weird perspective. I thought sort of things. The jet seemed to spend a lot of time on its side. I think <laughs> it does. Yeah. No, no one wants to yeah, fly jets like, like that. I think really. That's how, that's how the artist could draw jets. That's chop. That's choplifter. Choplifter. It's all. It's all right. When we looked through the games of nineteen eighty two, it was pretty much the only one that actually, you know, went. Yeah, that's actually worth a look at. And. Pleasingly, it was. Bravo, Choplifter. Um, I don't know who was, made it. Who made Well, I've actually Bobby got a note. It was made by two people, Dan Gorlin and Dane Bigham. Well, whatever happened to them. I think, they made, well I, think, I think in my research, one of them might have made Loadrunner. Anyway, right, let's crack on, because that's, that's too, far too much on Choplifter. What's next? Well, we were going to talk about two of these games, but we kind of condensed them down to one, um, and that is... Uh, and may get some people's backs up, probably. I don't know. You may very like these games. Uh, but Attack of the uh, Mutant Camels. Um, so what do we think about Attack of the Mutant Camels? Go on. Uh, do you want me to go well, first? I think, yeah, you go first, because mine, I've got like a two-word <laughs> okay, review well, of that. Similarly, my first words are thumbs down. I don't think it's very good. Um, it's annoying. Sound effects uh, are annoying. Visuals are annoying. Um, and it's just not a very good version of Empire Strikes Back uh, um, on the Atari, which, you know really should be better on the C64, but it's not. I remember really enjoying um, Empire Strikes Back on the Atari. It's hard to know what to say because, the, you know, Attack of the Mutant Camels has such a bit of a reputation, I guess. Um, but it, I just don't think it's very well, good. It's a strange one, isn't it? No, I mean, it's a strange one. I mean, let's take just take the... Because the guy that made this game, Jeff Mint, has got a very strong reputation with, with pretty much making a game on every conceivable platform there is. And there's no criticism mm, the- of the man. The man's a very clever guy. I've met him, actually. He's a lovely guy, but a very clever guy. I'm pretty sure he's got a, 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 a one of those kind of programmy brains where he can just program anything. So I don't I think he's... I have any doubt about the guy's skill. However, back in 1983, this was, from what I could see and played, was just centipede. Were you playing the same game as I was? The camel's walking, the camel's walking along. Well, I did want... Because the version <laughs> did didn't you, have any camels in it. you played the wrong game? Did you play Gridrunner? I played the one that was two in, the in the list. Yeah, there's two basically in there. There's Attack of the Mutant Camels, because I did try the other one. There's AOTMC1 and AOTMC blank. You know, it's AOTMC. Um, it's the one that says one is, for some reason, is Gridrunner. 
Uh, right, and Gridrunner's which, uh, Gridrunner is the one with the little thing. Centipede, yeah. it's, it's Attack centipede. of the Mutant Camel. Attack of the Mutant Camels um, is um, it, yeah. It's Empire. You remember Empire Strikes Back? Yeah, yeah. yeah with a with the walking attack thing. Yeah, yeah, but they're not the camels. I don't want to imagine that. <laughs> and that's um, it. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I actually what I like is the opposite. Is imagining the film <laughs> with just so, giant uh, camels. <laughs> For some reason, that appeals uh, to me more than the, the other way around. back with giant camels. Jeff Minter, lovely guy, game designer. Mm, don't know. There we go. Attack of the Mutant Camel. Okay, so okay, so that will. I didn't play it. Yeah, it's not. It's, not yeah, it's just a. It's just a. It's just a knockoff Empire Strikes Back. Did we? Did you play Aztec Challenge? I did. Uh, okay. And I definitely played that because it had the word Aztec Challenge when it I did. played it. Um, way too hard. <laughs> way, way, way too hard. Um, I like. I did. There's something about it that I do. There's, there are things that I like about what has to take challenge. It is way too hard. There's too many instant deaths. There's inconsistent sound warnings. Sometimes the arrows coming from the top make a wee noise. Sometimes they make a uh noise, and you never know. Uh, you know, if the ones from the top made a different noise to the ones coming at the bottom, um, you'd have had a bit more warning of which way to jump or duck. As it is, I kept yep. making it quite far and then dying. I never made it off the first stage. Because it's just way, way, way too hard. However, great music. Yeah, I mean, I got that it was atmospheric sound, but I had no idea what I was supposed to be aiming <laughs> Absolutely. for. I know it's a, it certainly is an Aztec challenge. There's no doubt about that. But why? I don't know. There's just men, men. You're just running between a whole stream of men throwing spears at you. Um, well, did you get to the next stage of that when you have to run across the various, the various pits of things? No, no, I never got oh, past it. I got it. to that stage somehow. I kept getting to the bit where the music got really and, uh, good. It isn't as uh, it's as difficult as anything else. There's actually the three stages that I managed to see. There was the one where you're running upwards towards the tower, being attacked by arrows. Um, I managed by some miracle to get past that. And by the way, the Aztec tower gets closer to you in a horrific graphical nightmarish quality. <laughs> and then when you get past that, you just endlessly there's a level where you have to climb up the steps while they throw what look like giant sugar cubes at you. So that's just avoid the rocks kind of thing that was actually fairly easy compared to the previous one and then after that was the nightmare of the running to the right level where you have to run to the right and stop yourself from being hit by arrows coming directly down or you have to jump over pits or crocodiles which um are impossibly hard to do and i gave up after that fair enough yeah just way too hard could run though hard. he could really run that guy he could really run <laughs> Could you know, did have atmospheric kind of sound. Imagine changing. I don't know if that was Aztec though. I don't. I don't know. Imagine changing that to like a Forrest Gump game. <laughs> it, which it kind of was. You could literally take that and just call it Forrest Gump's Challenge. It yeah. would be no different. Change the spears to chocolates. <laughs> I don't. I don't know why he would be running up towards a pyramid, but That's you know maybe, that could be. Maybe it's a walnut. Anything. Maybe it's a walnut whip. <laughs> a walnut. I can't do an act. No, don't do Forrest it. Don't. Gump. Don't. It's not doing it. Okay. Um, all right. So, so yeah, Aztec, Aztec challenge. challenge. Stu- I put stupidly hard. For stupidly that. hard, but did lead to you know I think it's Paul Norman and who made it. So yeah, um, he did do other good stuff. We'll come to that in a bit. Beachhead. What do we think to Beachhead? Well, I was surprised because it's a really strange game. Um, I wasn't exactly because I have I have actually have really fond memories of it. What I realised by playing Beachhead was that my memories were actually of Beachhead Two, mm-hmm. and that Beachhead itself has the most frustratingly unavoidable ship fleet known to man. <laughs> I 
I mean, did, did you find that? <laughs> no, I no, I found it. Um, uh, my, I thought it was great. I really enjoyed my time. I played all the way through it. Um, I thought the levels were really good. Um, it, it, I'd no, I had no issues with uh, any of the levels or anything. But the progression was nice. There's some really good um, uh, sort of touches for game design and sort of player affordance and stuff like that. And and uh, you know the visuals are you know for what they were for early 1983 are still pretty pretty decent. I thought there's a lot of character to them. Um, it was like I, I know I know what you're saying about because obviously the thing with Beachhead Two is that you know the speech sticks in your head um, and things like that. But I think with with Beachhead, I just um, I, I, I think I shouted a bit at the uh, trying to get the tank through to the thing at the end, um, but no, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. In all fairness, graphically the game's pretty impressive, right? I mean, it, it, it's actually pretty good. Mm-hmm. I just and I'm guessing that the premise of the game is that you have to make it to the beachhead. That was kind of what I figured you had to do, um, and I managed to sort of there was I just seemed to haphazardly end up playing certain kinds of levels. So at one point I was trying to drive a ship through what looked like a fleet of mine. Oh, in the cave? When, yeah, so I made it sort of through that, and, and I got to a... And the, I don't know if it was level one, or... I just kept end up end up going back to the same thing where I was at this map. I tried to sail towards my next target, and I ended up being accosted by a fleet of ships, which I could then just never kill. I just couldn't blow the ships up, no matter how much... And the, to be fair, that was like a really great mini-game in itself, but I just couldn't seem to, seem to get past that. However... That part of the game, which is kind of like a bit of a sub-hunter type, you know, where you've got the cannon at the bottom and the aeroplanes flying towards you. I have to say, that was a pretty enjoyable little game with the sound effect pretty cool, the animations are good. There's nothing wrong with the game. I just could, I think I just couldn't quite get to where I wanted to get to, but yeah. it, uh, it, it it certainly was playable. Yeah, I would say of all the games, bar one, I think that I've played this lot in 1983, uh, this this is, well, let's listen, I think this is probably the second best yeah, for, I mean, for, for I, myself. I enjoyed it. Myself. It was good. Was it? A, I mean, was it a disc game or a tape game? Uh, I, know, I, never I can had... imagine how frustrating that might be on tape. No, I never had a disc drive, so I played it when back in the day. I was on tape. Uh, it was fine. I, I remember playing it. Was it a single load? Because obviously, sometimes they loaded extra levels in. And... Yeah, th- I think it was. Yeah. You wanted to talk about Blue Max? I right, let me let me just say right right from the get go with Blue Max and and any of the. I don't like isometric games. I don't. Um, I don't like the games. And by isometric, obviously, I mean it's kind of a... You're playing the whole game on kind of a left-to-right angle, right? So so it, what it means in reality is that it's clever, don't get me wrong, and the, the sprites look like aeroplanes. I am still mystified as to some choices they made in that game, and I'll explain those in a minute. But essentially, it's just a shoot 'em up right? So you're flying along... Um, and you have to shoot things that are trying to shoot you. It's simple, fairly simple. And instead of it being a kind of a classic sort of Space Invaders type top to uh, bottom to top kind of shoot, it has that kind of angular thing. So there are parts of that which do appeal. And there were parts which were really annoying. So trying to take off must have taken me half an hour of repeatedly exploding because I kept going the wrong way, not achieving enough speed. I'm not sure even I could even control the speed. But once I was in the air shooting things, it was okay. There wasn't a lot to shoot at. You can drop bombs as well, so you can just pull down on the joystick and press the button and you drop a bomb and you can blow up buildings and things. There seemed to be no payoff for anything much. Mm-hmm. And I also noticed that there was, bizarrely, what looked like a sports car going across the bridge <laughs> in that game. And considering <laughs> I was in a biplane, 
with an infinite supply of bombs, which I can only mean I must be quite heavy. Um, <laughs> it just it, it was a bit of game logic too far. It was okay and graphically all right, sound effects okay, but it's it's just I don't I don't do you like isometric shooting games? I just don't I, for some reason I don't like them. No, no, I don't. I think they were an attempt at 3D that never you know that don't work. I don't. Yeah, um, forced perspective 3D. Yeah. I, th- I think the only one I ever really liked was uh, Highway Encounter. Yeah, and you know what? You've got to be committed to drawing that way. And this guy, <laughs> whoever the was, got bored of drawing like isometric graphics because some of those, some of the angles on those buildings, they're not the same as the angle of the screen. So it kind of, you kind of, it makes you look at it and go, "Hang on a minute, that look building weirdly shaped." And then the tanks are sort of as high as the buildings, and it just starts to sort of. And then there's tiny little trees, and you think, "Well, are those trees as?" That building must be huge, but it's not at the right angle, and it just starts to break it all. And you know, I mean, roll roll back the clock to 1983, and I might have had been sat there playing it. But I remember picking out Blue Max way back then and thinking, "This is just dull. <laughs> it's just endless." You know, dropping a bomb, blow up a building. Oh, there's a tank. Yeah, absolutely. There's a there's a game does it much better. We're going to talk about not in but not in isometric. Does similar sort of thing, but does it in yes, a better way? There's better versions of that kind of idea by, yeah. by a country man. It wasn't badly programmed, but it was just a bit yeah. devoid of of uh, finality. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Blue Max designed by Escher. Okay, um, I'll say the next one. Uh, what we got next? Uh, Forbidden Forest. Um, so following on from Aztec Challenge, uh, Paul Norman, I believe, sort of thing, made uh, Forbidden Forest. <clears throat> Forbidden Forest sees you as a lone bowman uh, trying to uh, survive um, against seven um, wave levels, enemies, well, I don't know what you'd sort of call them, that sort of thing, um, through the night um, in, a, in the titular Forbidden Forest. Um, it is... Uh, I'm, I'm going to be. This was my favourite of this batch. Uh, I, it's great. It's still great. Uh, it's so good on so many levels. The, the, I'll just start uh, orally. The music is fantastic. Yep. Um, any game as well that when you shoot, um, as you shoot in giant toads that are leaping towards you from the back of the screen, coming down on you, they crush you if they land on you. Um, and then when you manage to kill enough of them. Has a great bit of music and sees you sees your bowman who's quite big and chunky and, and actually quite pretty well animated um, for the time doing a really cool dance. I, I'm I'm all on board with this. This is great. Um, there's there's so much good stuff. The the levels are great. You get chased by um, you know there's, there's just so much. The, the the moment when I play in this sort of thing and I turned and nailed the uh, the gorgon the 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 dragon thing that was coming after me in one shot straight in the head and just went straight into that dance. Oh, I was fully on board. I was like, this is amazing. I, this is this is still great. Um, the, the, the sequel's even better, than I, I believe, sort of thing. But Forbidden Forest for me, sort of thing, was I was I was a bit weir- wary of going back to it because I, I do have very fond memories of it. Um, but it's yeah, it's still great. It's still got it, and it, it's got a really really good atmosphere that I, I, I you know that really hooks you in, pulls you to uh, to a place, sort of thing. And, and it, for for a C sixty four game, lots of C sixty four games, like you said, like Blue Max and is they don't really have that sense of atmosphere. They don't mm. create a feel, a, a mood. This manages to do it, um, and and it does it through its use of you know blocky but really sort of stylized and, and really sort of effective use of visuals. The monsters are all really well designed, um, and it, yeah, it makes use of its single mechanic 
Um, but it's it's got a really good risk reward to it because you can't just spam uh, your arrows. You have to knock it first. So you've got to take time to actually stop and put an arrow to your bow. And that that bit of time is is the difference between a skeleton between you being alive and a skeleton stabbing its spear in your head. Um, and and you've got to really time these things well. Um, it's fabulous, fantastic game. I I loved it. I have to say. Yeah, and you know, um, I thought that um, it uh, it it's an it it has got a great atmosphere. There's no denying that. The sound and the music are really cool. Mm. Um, and I noticed there's some there's some nice effects in there. That you know, the, for a game of its age, you've got um, nice parallax scrolling in there. So you've got that kind of foreground and background dual scrolling effect, which mm. for its time is incredible. Really, the animation on the little guy is pretty cool. I mean, it's, it's it, it is what it is. It's it's of its time. But it's well animated, and then I actually had a lot of fun trying to play it. It's hard, mm. but all the games like that are hard, and you can sort of see that progression from Aztec Challenge. The guy could capture atmosphere, and there's that really great opening sort of screen when you first start the game, when you get the Cosme logo, and you get the kind of you know the real challenging sort of uh, eerie music. And yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it. And it wasn't a game I played um, way back in uh, 1980s. I, I, in fact, I'd kind of always avoided the forbidden forest games i've never given them much time so uh, i actually enjoyed it quite a lot and i've, I've just, I put in my notes here that it's uh um it was very atmospheric and uh, and quite an interesting game to play all said and done so and mm. like you say the the mechanics of the game with the arrows and stuff was really quite a clever little touch so i, I did enjoy it yeah it's, it really does stand out from like like we said earlier at the start so many arcade conversions and and, yeah. and and these kind of things it's it stood out and still does it's a, it's you know it's uh it's hard to pigeonhole into a you know into a genre or anything. Um, it's you know it's some kind of weird part shoot 'em up. It's part I don't I don't know. It's just it is what it is. It's forbidden forest. Yeah. Um, and I think um, you know if I would to recommend any game from this sort on this lot sort of thing it would be this one. This was my the best one I played. Fair enough. No, I would agree. <laughs> I did enjoy it. Cool. That's good. Um, okay, we've got a couple more, and then we'll sort of take a bit of a break. Um, so the next one, uh, was, uh, Hunchback. What it's an interesting game, Hunchback. Mm-hmm. Um, I, uh, found it a little bit buggy. <laughs> right, okay. And a little bit, uh... I hesitate to use the term "really, really annoying" because it, cause, but it was just frustratingly, stupidly annoying. Uh, but that might, you know, is it an arcade conversion? I think it is, or or it's or it's a, a version of an arcade. I think it very well might be. I think it probably it had was. that kind of feel, right? It did, yes. No, um, sort of single screen challenge game, really, isn't it? So you you got to get past the first wave of. Um, jumping over things, and then the next wave is jumping over things with things flying at you, and that mm. kind of that kind of game, swinging across the rope, a kind of Jungle King style. Mm. And but you had to be pixel perfect on those jumps because <laughs> otherwise you were dead. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, but it, again, it wasn't a game I played back in uh, back in the day there, so it was a new, kind of a fresh play for me. I think I played it on a Spectrum, but not on a Commodore sixty four. So it was. What did you think of the overall game? Um, well, I. I... I, I, the thing, the reason why I wanted to talk about Hunchback sort of thing was it was the very first game I played in the Commodore 64. Um, when, okay, we, when, when we got it, we got that and uh, Mr. Wimpy. 
So my brother came home with a Commodore 64 and Hunchback and Mr. Wimpy, and we played Hunchback religiously, the pair of us. So it has a lot of, for me, it's a, it's a very uh, of its time, and I can remember a lot of the the, the frustration and the challenge and, and getting, I got really, really good at it. Um, and I was pleased to see something sort of that that muscle memory kicked back in um, <laughs> playing it sort of thing. So I, I, I cruised through it, really. Um, I remembered some of the things. I did forget some of the cheap, cheap, cheap deaths that do appear. Um, I was shot um, in true Skyrim style. I was shot in the knee quite a lot from behind. Um, there's that arrow. There's that levels where the arrows come from yeah. behind you with no warning. Yeah. So the level just starts and you're instantly dead. Yeah. <laughs> and you're like, okay. So then you jump. But oh no, the arrows can come from the top as well. Okay. <laughs> right. Okay. How am I supposed to know? Um, but you, you, you manage to get past that level sort of thing. And yeah, it's, it, it is. So it, it's hard for me to really be, I think, I, I found this one quite hard to distance, gain some distance from because it has such memories. Um, it's okay. Right. The weird thing was for me was that thing I had completely forgotten about, and maybe you can explain why, but why did it have um, Teddy Bear's Picnic as the theme tune? Do you know, I made a note of that. <laughs> And, and it's not the only time I've made a note with really weird music choices in games. I don't know. I don't know why it had that. I don't get certain parts of it. I mean, I get the idea of why he would go run across a level and ring a bell. Yeah. Because obviously Quasimodo ringing bells. Absolutely. I don't get why he would kind of collect bells. Um, And I suppose he was just collecting the ringing of it. But I, it just seemed odd that the premise of the game was... Because is he, he's trying to is he trying to escape from somebody or is he trying to rescue somebody? I didn't he's quite... Trying to res- He's trying to rescue Esmeralda. It's all right. So, so he's got to go across the challenges, and and actually, there's a couple of neat touches. Like, um, if you can't hang around on the when you first start each screen, because there's like little guys creeping up the wall, mm. and I quite I quite like that. As much as they're really annoying, I quite <laughs> like that. And uh, but yeah, but I my I just thought it it felt that the hazard just became really pointlessly dull over time. I kept going doing the same thing over and over again. I don't know how, how many levels are in that game. I mean, how many times do you have to go through that screen with the the pits in it and the things trying to stab you? I think there's 15 screens to get to Esmeralda, and then it just repeats endlessly and just gets harder. It's, it felt, see, it felt like I must have gone through 900 <laughs> screens, and I never got. Maybe it's just because I was doing the same one a lot. Yeah, the, the, there's variants of a theme. There's like big pits, swingy things, knights jabbing upwards, balls, arrows, and that's your lot. Yeah, I mean, there's the, a weird thing was when when you like start the new level. Or when you when you get to the end of a level and you collect the bell, and the next level kind of scrolls in from the left, mm. but but Quasi's kind of just sort of moonwalking in the air, <laughs> and it's just kind of weird. And like you know, it's just it's just it just felt like that was kind of a really cheap kind of. I'll just leave I'll Quasi leave him in the background. It doesn't matter. He'll yeah. just float around. I'm thinking if he had the te- if he had the ability to just float, why would he waste his time? Just going across all these hazards, just fly across there, ring that bell, your your job's easy. It you don't is. have to do what he's doing. I guess he's just doing it. Sucker for punishment. Maybe. Um, but yeah, it was alright. It, 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 it for me, like I said, hard to distance, but it is it, it's a, you can see it being a bit of a knockoff of uh, I don't know if it's is it pre Mario? I guess it's pre Mario, that sense the non scrolling stuff, yeah. but um but it's it's one of those it's one of those games that ha- did have um you know, a lot of I, I did quite enjoy my time, but I wouldn't, I couldn't recommend it to anybody. Yeah, and and, and one one <laughs> final thought I had about that was that it kind of raises a spectre about uh, something about eighties games and the naming of things, because I don't think, and could, I could be wrong, but I don't think if you were trying to release a game called Hunchback right now, 
I don't think that would be a very popular terminology to use. Um, and I just, I just, and it just struck me that back in the eighties, and we're going to come across this, I think, with some other games later down the line, is that some of the names of the games and the characters are suspicious, for want of a better term, <laughs> or at least of their time. Um, and I just thought, you know, you wouldn't release a game called, you know, I don't, I, I don't want to say any other kind of names that you might name a game that are similar to Hunchback, but you wouldn't pick on a a person's disability and to kind of make that into a game name it would be a bit cruel i think no and so it just struck me as a very 1983 kind of name for something and there's loads more of them let me tell you yes yes there are yeah but yeah still teddy bear's picnic what has that got Mystery. to do what's that got to do with 18th or 19th century france and you can't even fit the words quasimodo <laughs> or hunchback into that song either no right there we go a weird one very very weird one um all right so last in our i think this is last in our roundup of 83 um 82 83 um is uh pit stop yeah the original pit stop um uh i thought it was awful yeah (laughs) Um, I really wanted or, to like it a lot. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think... Um, and I thought I had played it, uh, but I hadn't. And when I loaded it no. up and booted it, and I, it started going, um, it is awful. Awful. Poor, yeah. right below a poor man's pole position. There's, t- there's two things that I do like from it. Um, it has... It follows... So it follows a track. So the corners are actually linked to the map of a track. So if it's, you know, it's a right turn, then the, the actual track and what you're going around. So that is kind of an early sort of example of, you know, a, a, a recognizable track that you go around, um, which was, yep. you know, quite nice, which is all right. Um, the pit stop mechanic is, you know, again, it's frustrating, but interesting. Yep. Um, and then does add, does add an element of strategy to the whole thing. Um, but, you know, terrible, terrible visuals. God, what's going on with those sprites? <laughs> So, I got pretty much written exactly the same thing. I was just like, I don't know why, but I had this kind of game in my mind. And when I started Pit Stop 2, that, it wasn't that game. Uh, sorry, when I started Pit Stop, sorry, it wasn't that game. In fact, my memories are predominantly of Pit Stop 2, which we'll yeah. come, cover later. Yeah. But the, at Pit Stop, and I had played it back then, but I'd also played other games of that type around then, which I think the predominant one was the, there was another Formula One game that was really popular at the time. I forget the name of it now. Um... But they're all much of a muchness. But I did think the sprites look rubbish, and and the, and I found the spot effects of the car so irritating. It actually made me want to just like I couldn't take it after a while. And, and you know, I'm I'm not one for. I mean, I can go into any arcade and put it with sort of crazy sound effects. But when it starts to just be a drone, a really high pitched sort of drone, which is meant to sound kind of like a Formula One car, but really doesn't. Um, <laughs> And I mean, if, if you know, even if you turn the sound down, there's nothing really redeemable about the game. It's clever in its own way, I suppose, but the physics of it are wild. You know, you can bounce off other cars, and it just felt really weird. Yeah, it's not good. It's really not. No, no. so a disappointment that one. Real disappointment. I was expecting. Yeah. I was expecting basically that you know, the precursor to Pit Stop Two, and yeah, I didn't, and I I think, didn't, I didn't get. I, think, I didn't yeah. get it. It's more like Pit Stop Zero. Yeah, and you know what? I think what they did is look at Pit Stop and go, you know what? Let's just make everything better and call it Pit Stop 2 because no, it is. I mean, I don't know. There's some similarities, but there's a lot in Pit Stop 2 that is much better than Pit Stop. Yeah, okay, could, well, that they, comes later. They couldn't make it worse. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know, 
to this day, it's a mystery as to why they chose that engine sound. <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't, what, what troubles me a little bit, and it's not something that keeps me awake at night, but there's an, the idea that this uh, programmers, musicians, um, game developers, people who made Pit Stop, must have put up with that sound for quite some time, and I imagine that does things to you as a human. <laughs> you know, so eventually there must be, you know, if someone plays a kind of a, um, a sort of a synth, a synthetic kind of drone, their probably eyes start twitching and like, now then there's not there's good not good things going on in there. They have like Nam style flashbacks, I think, going back. Because <laughs> I mean, I get them from just from playing it for a short space of time, and it was also really it was it did find it easy it was just kind of stupidly easy to go past everything i don't know if that was just the way i was playing it but yeah it won't it just i think we just need to sum it up with it it wasn't very good no no sense of speed which is kind of key yeah yeah the one was a it was more like <laughs> no. a sort of sense of slowness yeah yeah terrible and i imagine no. that's what murray walker sounded like having an orgasm <laughs> so and, and the idea of that terrifies me <laughs> <laughs> James Hunt. <laughs> I never want to think about that ever, ever. In fact, in fact, okay. there's, two, there's there are actually two two games that I do want to do touch on quickly before we do finish this section. Sure. Um, one is I don't really. There's not much to say about this that hasn't been said a thousand million times already. Um, came out in eighty three. I. It kind of passed me by because I think it was more of a Spectrum game, but that game was Manic Miner. Oh, I hate it. It's just what it is, isn't it? It's become it's become what it is, and, and I'm not going to add to that disc because there's too much discourse around Manic Miner. Yeah. Uh, it is what it is, you know, Matthew Smith and everything, and, and all the talk around him and everything that we came and everything. It, 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 it is what it is. Everyone knows Manic yeah. Miner. What what can we add? It's a it's that. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And yeah, no, I, I also would say. Again, they found a way of making in-game music so frightfully annoying <laughs> that you actually want to smash your ears off. Yes. Other yeah. than that, it's it's cool in the gang. Yeah. Uh, but and but the it other... is a Spectrum game, I think, really. Yeah, and I think, we, you know, it is what it is. Uh, and yeah. the other game, just, just briefly, um, that I'd, I would mention sort of thing would be uh, in Commodore's, Commodore's uh, International Soccer, um, which... Uh, is you know st- was still strangely one of the best football games on that on that on that machine. It's a <laughs> you know, weird. It's a weird. Man, it's true. It's a weirdly good football game. Um, it is, and, and in two player, really shot. I remember playing this a lot, a lot back in the day. Um, and you know the huge sprites, huge. God, they yeah. they they. they, they, they I, I don't know. I don't even know if the word expanded covers them. Um, but they're, they're <laughs> massive. <laughs> um, and you could run around and bounce the ball in your head and score from anywhere, and it was—it's a fun footy game. The, uh, the AI is awful. Um, people just run—you know—the the opposing players just run about wherever sort of thing. There's no skill involved, but for a footy game, it was—you know—for 1983, I got a lot of enjoyment out of that. And when yeah. going, going back to it, it <laughs> whether it was some kind of weird weirdness or something, but I enjoyed my time with it again. No, all right. you know- I, I never liked, I don't like football games generally, and I never really liked international soccer. However, that doesn't mean it wasn't wasn't very good. And when I replayed it, um, I actually found it a lot better than I remembered. Um, yeah, and the sprites are massive. They are. <laughs> but do you know what? Um, the alternatives at the time were kind of dots and things like that. They actually looked like football players. They used to have shirt colours and hair, and they kind of had a human shape. And um, and yeah, the logic of the game is kind of mad. And I mean, this isn't Premier League teams we're talking about in that game because they. I mean, when I was playing, they just kind of stood around, watching me run around. I somehow scored a goal by 
<laughs> I don't know, really know how. I kind of just kicked it towards the goal and it went in. But there was that great crowd cheer noise, which I kind of expected when I would have did that. It's all right. It was all right. Yeah, I think so. It's worth a mention. Um, and I think yeah. with that, I think that's the that's the honorary sort of 10 we've sort of picked out from yeah. that, those, those nation couple, first couple of years that were that were worth a mention and worth a chat about and, and had um, that were worth a look back at today because we remember them and whether they still work. And yeah, I think for me, Vin Forrest stands head and shoulders above the rest. Uh, I think on that note, we'll take a break. We're going to look at what else was going on in 1982, 83. A uh, little bit of look at some films and music um, and to see exactly what the top 10 games were then as well. So catch you after this. Okay, welcome back. Hello, hello. Um, so what a strange time of, uh, of the year. Nine, well, not strange time of the year. What a strange time 1982-83 was. Um, it's actually a bit of a time shift. You have to go back in time to when there were um, no... There was only three, maybe four channels of the push on TV. Uh, TV didn't run for the full 24 hours a day. In fact, it didn't run for the whole day. In fact, I think it went off at midnight. So it was a very different time. And in that space, there was also videos and films. And there's other stuff going on around video, as well as video games in its infancy. So... Without further ado, um, let's see what was happening in 1982-83. What was going on, AD? All right, so I think you're right, films. <laughs> I've got the top 10 films uh, in the UK from uh, top 10 grossing films from uh, 82. Um, and just to sort of quickly go over it, I'll just maybe even just the top five, because I think the top five really sum up the, I don't know how to put this, the strangeness, the weirdness of the... Uh, of the British public for films because number one <laughs> um, at number one we've got E.T. okay um, yeah I can obviously, see that obviously huge huge film sort of so massive film um, you know still to this day there's not much more to say about E.T. but E.T. is number one number two we have Gandhi okay <laughs> ch- ch- change in, a change in tone and number four we're back with the epic with Chariots of Fire goodness me okay I know but at number five <laughs> and I love the fact that number five and number six are next to each other. But number five, we have Porky's. What? Mm-hmm. According to IMDb, the fifth highest grossing movie in the UK in 1982 was Porky's. What does that say about us? <laughs> <laughs> Is that, so that was like, it's like the, that's the frat comedy, right? So that's the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Kim Cattrall, howling, having an orgasm. Yes, kind that's of the one. Slappy teen comedy garbage, right? Y- yes, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yes. Um, and then at number six was Annie. <laughs> Goodness me! What so an eclectic list. I know. So the fact that I'm looking at <laughs> I'm looking at a screen with a picture of Porky's just above Annie. Um, <laughs> it's, it's not something I thought I would experience on a, on an evening. Um, yeah. So 1982. I'm not sure what the British public was was uh, thinking. We obviously liked our cute aliens and our epics, uh, our tales, our, 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 our tales of Scottish romance, and uh, smutty 1950s America. I think that's a very telling list. <laughs> yeah. I mean, things... Uh, do things perk up in 83? Let's have a look. Let's see what we've got for 83. Um, things do perk up a little bit and they become a bit more... Well, let's, yeah, these these are a bit more sort of my, what you might expect in your top top five, six. Uh, Return of the Jedi is number one. Okay, yeah, great, that great, makes sense. For 83. Um, I, I, I can't imagine that anything was ever going to beat that in 83. 
Um, no but but giving it a good run for its money uh, was uh, Roger Moore with Octopussy. Oh God! At, at number two, <laughs> chase, the chase for a fake Fabergé egg. <laughs> yeah, it's the worst Bond movie, isn't it? One of them, at least. No, because at number three is Never Say Never Again. Oh goodness <laughs> me! Were they released in the same year? That's weird. According to uh, IMDb, that who must have been confusing, right? Because that's two different James Bonds. Yeah, absolutely. That's the, uh, the, the late great um, Sean Connery, isn't it? In that it, one, it, yeah, it's his last oh, one. Yeah, he came back remake of Thunderball, oh. wasn't it? Yeah, he should never have come back in that. No, he should have said never. <laughs> let's face it I'm sure that joke has been made a thousand times but yeah, it really should have no, someone sent me a text message at the passing of Sean Connery which was just Sean Gonnery I'm like oh here we go oh dear that's by the by but uh, <laughs> the fact that we had a, a Annie in the same chat as, as all of those things is a bit odd no Annie Annie was the year before oh is it this is, this is 83 yeah this is 83 God. number so what four else was 83 right uh, no, number four was the re-release uh, of the Jungle Book number five was Tootsie do you know how, does, how weird is this? I ended up watching that the other night because I couldn't sleep. Oh, and, 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 and Yeah, what a, it's just a really, it's like Mrs. Doubtfire, but serious. It's just, and it was, yeah. I think, is it meant to be funny? It wasn't, really wasn't. I don't know. Uh, I don't know. I mean, didn't it come out like, pretty much on the back of um, like Kramer versus Kramer? From, yeah, Dustin Hoffman um, was the man. At the time. Dustin Hoffman. So, you know, he was a bit of a, a bit of a dude at the time, wasn't he? But uh, strange one. And that cowboy was around that time, I think, wasn't it? Or maybe a bit before, but. Yeah, I think that was late 70s, but yeah. Yeah. And then, uh, just rounding up, uh, number six, uh, Superman 3. How did that even get... Well, (laughs) to be fair, Superman 3 is a comedy, right? It's just a funny film. You know, it's Richard Pryor comedy. Yeah, it should be. No, and and it's stupid in every capacity, apart from that one scene where the computer turns that woman into a robot... (laughs) And that still disturbs oh, me yeah. to this day because it's kind of, it just freaks me out. I don't like it. I don't know why I don't like it. It just freaks yeah. me out. I mean, it's got who's the woman in it? It's a, it was a Billy Connolly's wife, wasn't it? Um, Pamela oh, Stevenson. Pam- Pamela Stevenson. Yes. Yeah. I mean, she's amazing yeah. looking in that film, right? Stunning and and puts on a really weird accent. It's a really odd film. Yes. Yeah. It's it's not good. But it, we um, do know two cool things, and I mean, not to dwell on that film, but there is two cool <laughs> things that come from that. Okay. One, we know what happens if you mix nicotine and kryptonite, because that turns Superman into some kind of crazy guy. Now he went, he went wild over that because he mixes like the tar from cigarettes into kryptonite because he doesn't have the full recipe, mm-hmm. makes that into like a gift, and then gifts Superman with a giant green rock. Which to this day makes me laugh. But anyway, let's not dwell on that. The film makes no sense. It's stupid, but it's better than Superman 4, let's face it, though. So. Yeah. We don't talk about that. No. So, yeah, so that's our film. That's what the British public was watching. Um, I could go more as Officer and Gentleman, Staying Alive, Airplane 2, Meaning of Life. Uh, films were different back then. You know, yep. we still had the big blockbusters. The big blockbusters was, were drawing people in, but the still had space for the, uh, the smaller films to be, still be within the top 10. Uh, unusual um, music. What do we have going in music? I'm going to be honest here, sort of thing, and and, and I'm just going to give this just a cursory Gareth because I, I was very into films. I remember very much enjoying um, videos and things like that back then, sort of thing. But I was not so much into music. Um, I remember just listening to a lot of Michael Jackson in 1982-83, Thriller, basically. It was like the year that, know, that came yeah, out. That's, I mean, it's, yeah. a, it's a crazy good album, right? Yeah, ex- exactly. It was it was around then, and and I just remember listening to it repeatedly constantly i was you know the video for thrill and everything 
uh, that was pretty yeah. much my my years. I, I'm, I'm sort of looking through some of the stuff. I had some singles I recognise, um, notable sort of singles that came out uh, would have been things like 99 Red Balloons, yeah, um, Bit of Duran Duran, Hungry Like the Wolf. I'm always I was no, I was always surprised Hung, Duran Duran were that early. I thought they were later, but. I thought they were for late in that, but in all fairness, you know, uh, as much as the kind of the, the new romantic-y kind of era was either midway through or coming to an end, I don't know really. At I, I, you, I was kind of musically agnostic, really. Yeah, um, I, was and I was kind of driven by what my brothers and fans and sisters liked, so I didn't really have my own kind of thing. You know, I remember being into the Eurythmics inexplicably for some reason in July <laughs> 1981, for about a week. So yeah. that kind of tells you what you know. I think that was because of Sweet Dreams, which came out around that time. I think. Yeah, and, it was just, um, you know, I think the thing with music at that time is the thing to notice sort of thing is to draw it back in with sort of, you know, technology was, was the rise of te- synths. Yeah. Um, and, and the right, and especially that ties nicely in with, you know, the Commodore. Yeah. Um, and, and the synth chip and the SID chip and everything like that. And that, this, that rise of, um, you know, synthesized music through the new romantics and, and all kind of things like that. So, and, yeah. and also your avant garde stuff like Throbbing Gristle and plans like that. And this, this ad, ad, uh, adoption of technology. Um, was what was really going on back then. So I, think, well, I was really just too young to notice. Yeah. <laughs> if I'm honest. I mean, the, the, you're right. And, and the, that later, as we go more into the sort of mid-80s, um, becomes much more important in terms of the Commodore 64 and Zap 64 and the mm. whole kind of the, the whole kind of uh, 8-bit computer thing and the idea of the sounding games and everything. It becomes a lot more important later. At this time, they're still kind of at that weird just at the cusp of arcades but there's some some people in there have got an idea that putting uh, the music in there you know like the um like the um forbidden forest guy um they get an idea that there's actually it does add atmosphere and this every now and again you get somebody that does that mm, absolutely um and i think that's what's the takeaway really for the music yeah. i don't i don't have any you know i, I like those songs now but back yeah. at the time they didn't really mean much to me i, I you yeah. know i take take the charts on my, my stereo well, you know what's <laughs> horrific, really, is that you know, and, and if you actually look back at the, all the releases that came out at that time, a lot of the songs that we really revere now didn't even get in the top five half the time. Those songs no. that were like really popular, number ones were all the really rubbish. People had been to Spain and come back from Spain, and <laughs> you know, in 1982, Rene and Renata was number one with "Save My Love." And that tells you everything you need to know. And, and Joe, uh, what Joe DeLuca and "What's the Matter You" and when you've uh-huh. got songs like Ultravox and Vienna being beaten to the number one slot in the charts by th- stuff like What's the matter, you? Hey, and all that kind of, you know. <laughs> it's It just shows you where Britain was at. I mean, it, this is the same country, remember, where we had a song called Grandad and Grandma that both went to number one. Mm-hmm. And the chicken song. And the chicken song, yeah. So it's just, you know. And Agadu. Yeah, exactly. You know, when that, <laughs> if that was our legacy to the world, I am sorry to whomever that <laughs> encountered that. Uh, yeah, um, you know, Superman was bad enough, but Agadu, you know, and I am the music sorry. man. And if you, I mean, if you, there is Black Lace, his best of album must be three tracks because nothing they did was good. No, nothing. It was, it was just unforgettably horrific. <laughs> so, yeah. It, but, you know, people like it in holidays yeah. and stuff, don't they? Uh, and to continue on with to what was going on, we'll just quickly wrap up with a quick look at TV. Sure. So, TV, what was going on? 83, 84. These are the things that I pulled out as memorable to me, perhaps, uh, and, and things that were going on. Uh, beginning in 1983, in January, we had uh, British. Uh, we had breakfast television started. Oh my gosh, um, yeah. Bre- breakfast time started on the 17th of January, so 
the late Frank Boff um, and all that lot started to broadcast TV when you were, you know, was it was a big GM deal about TV it. or did that, was that the BBC no, one that came it, first? It, it was later, it was breakfast time, it was the BBC one. Wow. Um, so that was the first, you know, bit of TV you could watch while, you know, getting ready for school or whatever, and it was a big thing. Eating uh, your toast. Yeah, so that, that started. Um, particular thing to me, just the beginning of February, uh, Cheers aired for the first time. Wow. <laughs> in, in, in Britain. Um, good old Cheers. I used to love that program. Yeah, um, it's odd. It's, it's, it was a really cool show. It was one of those things that I've, I never f- always found it totally funny because it's very American. But now I look back, there's some great episodes of that. Yeah, Frasier it was is. Cool. It, it was very good. Um, it's one of those shows that I used to, I'm amazed I used to watch it as much as I did sort of thing because I was only 11 um, yeah. or 10 or 11 sort of thing. So it seems weird to think of a 10 or 11 year old watching something like Cheers. What channel was um, but, it? Was that on Channel 4? It was Channel 4, yes. Wow. Yeah, Channel 4 aired it, um, and it was excellent. Um, more, uh, I think this is more for you. Um, on the 23rd of February, Deirdre Barlow made the choice to get back, <laughs> to break up with Mike and get back with Ken. You know, I, <laughs> on I'm Coronation Street. That had like 20 million plus viewers, right, or something the, the, crazy. The note is that the episode was one of the highest rated in the soap's history. <laughs> Of course it was. Um, I know how much of a fan you were of Coronation Street, Ken Barlow and uh, Deirdre and, and the ups and downs with Mike and everything. Uh, so I thought I would include that for, for you. you know, just for the record, I don't watch any of them now, but for some reason there was a time in my life where I found soap operas quite compelling viewing. There was nothing else on. You're right, you to, there wasn't. As you say sort of thing, this is 1983. There were four channels and there was nothing on. Is that I, I like to think I used to watch not religiously, but I used to watch Coronation Street and I got, I got quite into it at one point. But there were certain ones I kind of like Emmerdale. I was like, oh no, we would watch Emmerdale. Or what was that one that was set in <laughs> yeah. a motel? There was a one that was just randomly set in like a a hotel. Oh, you, a motel. You're, thinking of, you're thinking of Crossroads. Crossroads, yeah. It's just like you know, these aimless, endless shows. Just what were they yeah. about? Mm-hmm. Terrible. Um, but yeah, that was that was a, a big moment in TV history for the UK. There, yeah, first, of, first of first of April, an even bigger moment though, because uh, Roland Rat made his first appearance on TV AM. <laughs> Rat fans, indeed. Um, so that was quite a big one, sort of thing. And obviously, he spawned his own season four game, which we might it even did. cover at a Roland, later date. Is it Roland's Rat Race. Um, it was, yeah. And yeah. and TV AM was going down the plug holes, and he's uh, credited as almost being TV AM's savior. Yeah, um, I can weirdly imagine. enough. Um, 29th of July, uh, another big day if you liked um, hit American shows because uh, it was the first time that the A-Team was shown um, <laughs> on, in the UK. Uh, 1983, July sort of thing. Do you know what I like? Uh, I mean, A-team. I loved the A-Team. That was that was my that was my uh, that was my bag back then. I liked. I remember watching the pilot. Right? I remember watching it years ago because that pilot's the bit where it has the jeep that gets it blown does. up and flips, and it, then they use like, the opening credits forever. And I'm like, wow, that's and so I, cool. And I think this is a good a good moment to actually let's just tie this in with the eighteen game. <laughs> um, we were gonna I was maybe less this the latest sort of thing, but there was a Commodore sixty four game of the eighteen that we dug out and looked at. Um, it was released at the beginning of nineteen eighty five, according to what it says. That game is inexplicable. Let's start this off sort of thing. Everyone knows the eighteen theme music. Okay, yes, it's 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 iconic. It, um, everyone can hum it from it who lived through that period. Everybody yep. knows it. Yeah. Yeah. It is, you know, and you would think one of the easiest things to draw you into an 18 game would be to have the title screen have a, a bad version. It doesn't really matter. It can be a single tune, you know, single, 
yeah. single uh, voice version of it. Yep. Duh, 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 don't matter. Okay. Yep. The A team game starts off uh, with music from Star Wars, which is just really <laughs> random because yeah. nobody in that TV show was in Star Wars. No, it w- maybe if it was Battlestar Galactica, I might have got it. Um, yeah. But it wasn't. It's Star Wars. It's the main thing from Star Wars. So on the title screen, it says the A-Team, and then you have a tune that is Star Wars. I, I yeah. don't know whether there's some miscommunication <laughs> some, somewhere that the word A-Team got changed to X-Wing. I don't know. I can't I can't quite figure out where this happened. Um, and anyway, so on this screen, on this title screen, as you're listening to, amusedly listening to the uh, Star Wars music, you're treated to the four members um, or, or this, well, I'll just say there's four faces that appear, um, <laughs> and underneath them are the words "ba face Hannibal and Murdoch." Um, yeah. And it's good job that those names are there, sort of thing, because they're not recognisable in any <laughs> way, shape, not. or form. Um, even on a Commodore 64, where you know graphics are not the greatest sort of thing, these are just random faces. There's just nothing to to sort of say who's who. No, uh, that wouldn't be bad enough. You're thinking, okay, well, maybe there's some kind of game in this. I mean, there's jeeps flipping, there's things shooting. Maybe this, there's you know, if you're going to make a game of the A team, you might make a commando ripoff or something like that. Um, no, what you get in the game is four floating heads moving across <laughs> the top of the screen, uh, a black screen, where you control a guy with a gun at the bottom, and the floating heads drop lines upon you, and when one of the lines hits you. It says the A team has captured you. <laughs> Try again, and this happens three times. Then it's game over. And the floating heads you hit—if you shoot them—just respawn immediately. Yeah, yeah. And these are these are the four floating heads of the A team. I don't remember any part of a TV show with the A team where they were floating heads spitting lasers at a random man <laughs> with a with a gun. I can't remember this. It's not what you'd call the classic premise of the TV show, which was generally the A team called in to rescue. <laughs> a person from another gang so yeah you know, when did they ever capture anyone they they don't <laughs> in fact they're actually always trying to not be captured that's the whole point of them being escaping yeah. from a maximum security stockade <laughs> inexplicably again to the los angeles underground but that's yeah, a whole I, you know separate. i can't i can't recommend this game no but i but i have to because uh, <laughs> but because it's one of those things to sort of go look at even if you just go look on youtube it's just a case of the hell what 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 what? Because it's it's one of those moments. I remember this came out. I think this came out beginning of eighty five. So we'd had you know this C sixty four was approaching three years old. The visuals were getting a lot better by this point, and then we had this. It's uh, disappointing. Is the is the the least damning thing I can say about well, it. I mean, my notes that I made for it was this was clearly not played by anybody that had ever watched the A team. <laughs> um, so they just said, right, make a game out of the A team. Like A team, got you. And what's it about? It's just four guys, you know, one of them's a big like bodybuilder, black guy called BA, and then he's got, you know, three white guys that he hangs around with and they just, you know, save stuff. Just do that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> and then somehow that ended up with you shooting giant heads with a yeah. rifle to the it was just weird. And I know and then the animations on those heads were terrifying. <laughs> I think the one that was Hannibal was kind of winking perpetually like like he was having a stroke. And then I noticed that the one that was BA was looked like he was trying to swallow a rat. So it's just kind of his throat was going like wobble, 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 wobble. I'm like, no, that is not. No, they, look, these, this, is a, this is a TV stalwart, I know. And they were, the A-Team, you can't underestimate the popularity of that TV show in the US and the UK. It was massive. So mm-hmm. how they got the license for this and what senior executive of that company looked at that and went, that is great. 
Um, <laughs> best. That's the best eighteen game I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Nothing says eighteen more than shooting giant heads. Yeah, because I don't anyway. remember any other eighteen game. No, I don't. So they Which must have always... scored the license for that. So there you go. Dig that out if you can and be a, be hor- <laughs> or, horrified. Or don't. <laughs> or don't. Feel free um, not to. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, let's move on because that's uh, awful. Um, uh, in September, uh, the UK saw the debut of He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. Classic. Uh, uh, um, you know, don't do what Adam says not to do or whatever. Yeah, he was a moral um, guy, right? He really was a moral guy. Um, and I found this next one incredible. Um, and this really does tell you <laughs> a lot about the British public. Um, Danger Mouse, towards the end of the year, reached uh, viewing figures of 21.59 million people. <laughs> what? Nearly 22 million people of the UK. Remember, at this point, we've probably only got a population of in the mid-50s. This is nearly 50% of the population tuning in to an animated mouse. Voiced by David Jason and Terry Scott. Well, yeah. well the characters in it, my gosh. Sweet, sweethearts of the nation. And in all fairness, though, Danger Mouse is is it was good. I didn't realise it was that popular. I mean, it's that's crazy. I, but I know I can't I can't get my head around that. Um, Did that ever make it to a Commodore sixty four game as well? I don't remember a Danger Mouse game. There must I think be there one. was. I think there was one. Yeah, but um, yeah. I just who, hope who the knows? same guy that made the A team didn't make that because yeah. it's not going to be very good. Let me tell you. Yeah, I mean, all these facts are from Wikipedia sort of thing. So you know, take them with a pinch of salt. But um, yeah, they are what they are. Uh, well, I was, who are we it, to question who, the legalities there, there, and justifications yeah. of Wikipedia? There is a reference to that, so I'm hoping it's right. But yeah, just imagine 22, nearly 22 million people tuning in to you know to watch Danger Mouse. Crazy! What does that say about you know? We love things like that. Yeah, you know, well, magic roundabout. I, I bet, a lot of that, I bet, is down to the time that they put that on. Because I remember the Magic Roundabout achieved crazy popularity, and it was because yeah. it was in the five-minute slot before the six o'clock news came on. So, that well, I fifty-five po- slot. Quite possibly, actually. Yeah, I never thought about that timing. Could have been everything. Yeah. Oh, the schedules uh, were very important back then. They were. Yeah, tea time was a fixed thing. Yeah, no such thing <laughs> as uh, on demand. You know, you, if you didn't watch it at the time, you didn't see it. Yeah, absolutely. They had a you video recorder. Take- yeah, but you couldn't tape over your mum's. Uh, Heartbeat, no. whatever it was. No. <laughs> no. Uh, all right, 84. I've only got a couple for 84. Um, there's probably more, but, you know, let's, let's not dwell too much on these things. Yeah, uh, sure. This is a <laughs> – not to be laughed at, this is not a, a laughing thing sort of thing, but uh, was a particular moment in TV history, I think, that, that will stick with a lot of people from who lived through then, especially in the UK, uh, was Tommy Cooper dying live on TV. Oh, of course he died. He did uh, literally on TV, right? With a heart attack. Yeah, it was like it was on during live from Her Majesty's collapse with a heart attack, and yeah, just oh, back on the stage, and pe- pe- people thought that was part of the act, and then yeah. until the until the hand came out trying to wake him up, it's oh. kind of a weird, a weird, horrible moment sort of thing, and then the, the curtains came across, and you realised, oh, actually, this doesn't look good. Yeah, it was a that was a very um, that was a yeah. somber moment, wasn't it? It was a bit of a sober. I think that might be the first time yeah. I ever actually watched somebody drop dead as well. Yeah, it's just a weird. It's a weird thing, but just you know, middle of April, live from Imagineers. You know, uh, Tommy Cooper was huge, massive, yeah. massive star, especially in the, in the UK comedy scene and just UK in general. And then for him to just just go live on stage, like yeah. weird. Yeah, it's just a strange thing. And we, um, he went, and I'm being, this is no pun, but he did go just like that. <laughs> <laughs> just like yes, absolutely. <laughs> um, and uh, moving on from that into equally uh, charming territories, uh, please don't. Uh, worry too much at night uh but the bbc uh, the first edition of crime wave 
uh, in June of 1984. Crime, uh, crime Watch, sorry. Crime oh, Watch. Oh, okay, okay, of course. Uh, okay. For, some re- for some reason, I've got something stuck over the word so, Crime same, Watch. Same idea, though, right? So, Cri- that I've yeah, Crime Watch. Crime Watch, yeah. Crime Watch, sorry. My, 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 not reading my notes properly. Crime Watch, yes. First aired on the 7th of June. Oh, my um, gosh. And so that was, you know, that became a, a real... Uh, what was it monthly show wasn't it and they just yeah. show lots of crimes and they'd always end it with don't don't worry these things can't happen to you yeah yeah we'll just leave you, leave you leave you terrified yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, we've reenacted yeah. this horrific yeah. attack but don't worry it won't happen to you yeah so much of 80s tv was terrifying um and, and i think crime watch uh public information adverts yeah um uh, things like threads uh, well, yeah, after, I mean, the, you know, it, it's, it, I suppose if you, yeah, you're right. You look at the context of what was going on in this kind of political, not that we dive into that, but you now this was Cold War, this was nuclear attack potentially, and the uh-huh. TV was kind of reflecting this to everybody. So threads um, the day after and, sh- and and TV shows like that were quite common, right, at that time. Yeah, yeah, they were. So there you go. That's, uh, that's a view of what was going on at the time. Yeah. Um, so I think on that note, we'll move on. There you go. That was episode zero, part one, where we've looked at 1982 and 1983, and we looked at games like Choplifter, Attack of the Mutant Camels, where Graham got the wrong game. We looked at Beachhead, Bluebacks. We looked at Forbidden Forest, Pit Stop, Manic Minor, International Soccer, loads of games from 1983. Some were good, some weren't. It's our usual formula. We've also we talked about film and things like that. Hopefully you've enjoyed it. Released right now, at the same time, is the second part of episode zero. So as soon as you're done listening to this, you can go straight into part two, and we'll talk about all the games that we fancied talking about in 1984, which include things like Alien, Boulder Dash, we've got a Decathlon face-off, we've got Ghostbusters, Impossible Mission, Pit Stop 2, Raid of a Moscow. Oh, there's just loads. There's just tons. So go have a listen to that, because that's also out today. Enjoy. Thank you for listening to the Zap to the Past podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into the world of Commodore 64 games, as well as the music, sights, sounds and news from around the 1980s, driven, of course, by the issue of Zap 64 magazine, published at the time. We will be back next week with another podcast, so do please join us. Until then, please head over to zaptothepast.com to sign up to our email list, as well as check out all the links and resources in the show notes. You will also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram under Zap to the Past. The Zap to the Past podcast is written and produced by Adrian Mills and Graham Raddings and recorded at Flaky Bits 2.0 Studio. All opinions expressed are those of the writers and while we indeed love Zap64 magazine, the Zap to the Past podcast is not affiliated with it in any way. Stay safe and see you next time.